Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you you. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. And you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. So my name is Drake. And I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today. So thank you so much for being here. If you're joining us online, we're not hating on you. A little jealous maybe that you're in your PJs, but we're glad to be together today. Glad you're joining us online as well. Um, It is officially Santa season, and we get to celebrate Jesus' birthday coming up. You guys pumped about that? You're a little overwhelmed that Mariah Carey like already defrosted? Anybody like, <laughs> oh, it's already here? It's a bit much. Um, have you guys like felt the full swing of materialism and consumerism over the weekend just hit you like just with like a semi-truck, like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and it's all, it's now Black Friday is Black Weekend, right? Have you guys noticed that? Like Black Friday conveniently doesn't stop online and Cyber Monday turns into Cyber Week and December is just like, hey, spend all your money on things you don't need. So, hey, just a reminder, in the middle of like this constant cultural moment, I'm all about celebrating the seasons, um, but apprenticeship to Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, it doesn't stop uh, in the middle of of seasons, and so we're all about embracing it, resting well, enjoying the holiday, but also just a reminder uh, that there are things going on around us that we need to be uh, careful of that that we're not being formed into, and so just, you know, a little bit of a reminder, you don't need a bunch of stuff that robs you of your joy, (laughs) and so um, just just a little heads up. I've been reminding myself all weekend, I was so frustrated at a Black Friday sale. I'm looking for, like, Legos for my kids, and there's this, like, awesome Lego set, and I'm like, I don't actually think they want it. I think I want it for them, which is actually what's happening, and it's normally, like, 80 bucks, and it was on sale for 40, and I was like, Yes! And then I get on there, and then Walmart's like, oh, it's sold out. And I was like, oh! And then I got on the next day, and it's like, oh, it's back. And I was like, yes! And then I told Danielle, I'm like, yeah, we should do it. And I got back on, and it was sold out again. And I was like, that's how they get you. They're like, ah, just, just playing with you over and over again. So every day you're back on checking to get the deal. Anyway, just a little confession time for me. Uh, we're in the middle of a Holy Spirit series, and it's been incredible. Can we put our hands together for Maddie crushing it last week? Holy moly. If you missed it, go jump on our YouTube channel, our podcast. She did an incredible job walking through the fruit of the Spirit, and it, man, it was so, so good. Um, my, my, my wife and I, we were out of town and had the privilege of seeing family and speaking at a partner church, uh, but really glad to be back today as we continue to press into this series. And uh, a couple of things, just want to celebrate. In the middle of consumerism, uh, you, you as a church consistently embrace radical generosity. And so last weekend, huge shout out to our team, we were able to uh, put together 88 food for family bags for families in need over the Thanksgiving holiday. So way to go. Put your hands together for your radical generosity. So just in the, in the space of consumerism, you're choosing to be generous, and that's wonderful. And uh, it's, it's those kinds of practices that reset and continue to rewire how we think and how we live as Jesus followers. And so we're, we're getting ready to wrap up this series on the Holy Spirit. We've got a few weeks left, and I'm really excited and grateful for where we're going in this series. Um, today we're going to do a, a dive into formation asking the question we ask often, who are we being formed into? Who are we becoming? Uh, next week, we're doing a timely, Christmas, um, a timely Christmas message, if you will, on, on demonic uh, oppression. So that'll be great. 
A little bit of sarcasm there. I am really speaking on that, but uh, it's not very Christmassy, but it's on the agenda, so we're doing it. We've been walking through this Holy Spirit series. If you missed it, there have been some really pivotal ones. I think it's going to be a really timely message, um, and I think it's going to actually clarify a lot of really helpful things, especially if you watch too many horror movies, then it'll be really good for you. Um, but it's going to be an incredible week next week, and then the following week, we're going to start to land the plane uh, with a conversation um, around who we're, not only who we're becoming, um, but then that specific conversation we talked about a couple weeks ago around Ephesians 4 of the gifts of the Spirit and how that fleshes out in community. And so uh, that's how we're going to land the series. But as we get into it today, if you're, if you're in the room, if you're online, you're on the podcast, no matter where you are, I just want to encourage you to lean in. Today I was supposed to be speaking on holiness because in the Holy Spirit series, part of that is the holiness or who we're becoming. And I just felt like God wanted us to pivot. And so today we're going to talk about formation instead. And so I just want us to lean in as a community together and ask the question today, who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? And I want you to like, like really sit in it for a second. And listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, I want you to know no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you are loved, safe, and welcome in this community. It's an honor to have you here, but we want you to still process who you are becoming. And my hope is today you'll have some helpful insight, not only into God's love for you, but who he has a desire for you to become as well. Um, but, but I want you to think back, like over the last six months, genuinely, who have you been becoming? What, what tangible kind of markers do you see? And, and it's pretty hard, right? Like, like uh, because you and I live in such a blur, and you're like, when, when was six months ago? What was happening six months, six months ago? What happened six days ago? Um, and, and so you and I want you to think, man, if you were just to sit down with your journal and say, okay, six months ago, who have I been becoming? And depending on how the season has been, sometimes things are in, in your control and out of your control. There's some formative things. You're like, wow, look, this has grown and you're like, wow, this hasn't made any progress. Or actually, I feel like I've, t- I've taken a step back over here. So take a six-month sna- snapshot in your mind, and then, and then fast forward. What about six weeks? Who have you been, been becoming over the last six weeks? And, and, and I think there's this space of sometimes a window can feel like so short that you're like, man, can anything significant happen in a formation of six weeks? The answer is yes, <laughs> deeply, actually. Um, and, then, and then genuinely six days. I mean, who have I been, coming, been becoming over the last six days? You say, Why would I look at that window? Because what you did over the last six days is shaping who you become or what you didn't do, what you gave your attention to, what you gave your energy to. And we, we say this often, but everyone in the room is being formed daily. The question is whether it's intentional or not. And so that, that's one way to think about it. The second question I want you to wrestle with this morning is who should you be becoming. This is maybe a little bit assumed, but I think if we don't back up and ask the question, then we, we ask the who am I becoming question, especially if you, if you feel like you're established in life, or you're in a season where you're comfortable, you're like, well, I feel like I've become. <laughs> I am me, and, and everything's great, but the reality is you, you and I all have gaps, and there's formation happening, but who should I be becoming? And, and this is actually really important, is because whatever this idea is in our mind, um, if, if, we, if we miss this, especially as apprentices under Jesus, then it really, it, it can point us in a direction that we don't intend to go, or it can allow us to be uh, flat in our spiritual formation, as if kind of settled in comfortable spaces that maybe Jesus doesn't have for us. So who should I be becoming? And then an equally important question um, that I want to I just wrestle with, that I feel like God put on my heart for this week, is who are we becoming? As a church, as a community, three years old in Boulder, Colorado, 2022, heading into the Christmas season, who are we becoming? 
And again, this Holy Spirit series has been pressing into a lot of these different aspects, but I think God is doing something really incredible stuff. He's doing some special stuff in this community, primarily because there's really special people in this community. And what he's doing in and through it is quite magnificent, but it's not an accident. Over and over again, I have people tell me, wow, like, man, it's so amazing what God's doing at City Church. And over the course of a month, there's about 150 people that call City Church home. There's a national average right now of like a good church attender in America is about one out of every four Sundays. And so, so as you cycle through a month here at City Church, you're going to see different faces. And over and over again, people are like, I have no idea who those people are. I'm like, yeah, man, this family is growing. It's an incredible thing. But what's happening is as this family grows, there's ownership in this family of a, of a DNA that God is building. You just don't walk in and you're not blown away because of the orange carpets. As amazing as that is, I mean, I know that's a staying factor for a lot of you, but it's the people and it's not an accident what God is forming in and through you. And so I just want to ask the question, again, if you call City Church home, who are we becoming? Now I want to paint a picture for you today of who we should be becoming as Jesus followers. And here the good news is if you're not a Jesus follower, um, this is still gonna be incredibly compelling. Here's what I know about you, is no matter where you find yourself, this is the kind of person you want to be individually. These are the kind of people we want to be corporately. This is what we want to be known for. And so as we're in this series, we talked about who the Holy Spirit is and, and then what he does and then what, what he wants to do through us. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about eagerly desiring the stuff the Spirit wants to do in and through our community. But I wanted to bring us back to the why before I give you this passage because I, I lost it over the last two weeks. I kind of got, got busy and got distracted and, and I found myself not really in a posture of desire. Like, like I... It's like there, like deep down inside, you know, you know that space, it's like it's there, but it's so distracted and so like it took everything I had to sit down and be quiet for a second. So I've got disciplines, I've got routines, but man, there is no, like the desire is so deep down and I'm struggling to cultivate it. So I want to bring you back. Do you remember why we desire the stuff of the Spirit? Do you remember why we want to press into that? It, it's amazing how quickly we lose this very simple idea. Paul over and over again says we, we desire these things, we press in to build up the church, that the motive is loving others. So it's not like a cool experience for myself or just to feel a little better about my spiritual journey and my relationship with God. It's about growing in my love of God and people. And so I don't know where you're walking in, but I've had to refresh my heart and mind in this reality that I, I want a life that's walking in the spirit where I'm like genuinely closer to God, where I'm, I'm growing more like Jesus, becoming that kind of person, experiencing God's love more deeply. And as that love works in and through me, like I'm not, I want to be the kind of person that loves God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, like the invitation from Jesus, right? And it's the kind, if you're a Jesus follower, that's the person you want to be. But if I was going to use the all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, I don't know that I'd give myself check marks on all of those boxes over the last 14 days. Not because I didn't want it, but there's a dis disconnect between maybe a deep down desire and what I'm functionally living out. And so, so then the motive, it changes. Why would I press into all the Holy Spirit wants to do in and through me? I want to do it because the Spirit wants to do things in and through me that I can't do for, for my, myself. That, that like the, the ability to see the stuff the Spirit does in this community, a word of prophecy, praying for someone over healing, a word of knowledge and wisdom to genuinely love. These are all supernatural things that I can't give you on my own. And so why would I press into the stuff the Spirit does? It's because of my love for you. 
that I'm sitting and praying, God, God, I want to see this in and through my life. I want to hear your voice. I want to speak confidently. I want to live in such a way so that I can love the people around me, loving the people in my city group, loving my neighbors well, loving you in this room today. And it's a calling that, that I can't meet on my own. You guys feel that? So, so this is the invitation. That, that, that deep down, it's, it's loving God and people. Jesus said the most important things that we give our lives to is not Black Friday sales, it's not our hobbies, it's not our careers, it's not our ambitions, it's not even religious performance, it's loving God and people. He said those two things are what a truly satisfied, abundant life is found in. And it's love as he defines it, not as we define it. And so we gotta press into becoming those kind of people. Jesus also said that people around us, people far from God, will know that we are his followers by the love that we have for ourselves? No, right? He said, by the love that we have for one another. So this is really interesting space that I know the deepest part of you wants to become that kind of person, but I also know that you're constantly being pressured and distracted from becoming that kind of person. So 1 Corinthians 13, it'll be on the screen here. This is where Paul kind of postures both sides of this Holy Spirit conversation. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men, and we've been talking about all these different spiritual manifestations of the Spirit. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clinging symbol. We have these little symbols in the back for city kids. They're the most obnoxious things you could pop, like they're little itty bitty. You know the little monkey, right? That's that, that's the posture, right? Man, I, I, I could have the most impressive private prayer life ever, but I don't have love for the person sitting next to me across the street at my work. I'm a noisy gong, a clanging symbol, just a waste of space. <laughs> Please stop, is, is, is the posture that I feel in my heart. And, and if, I have a, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith so that I could even remove mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing, which is really interesting because the posture of the Corinthian church was actually, that's, that person's a really big deal. Like, wow, look how super spiritual and awesome you are. It's like, you, you can have all of that, but you don't have love. It, it, it's meaningless. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And, and again, you know this because the best relationships are formed where there's genuine love. And so let's look at the next uh, passage here in verse four. I'm gonna read it if you guys will stay on the screen for just a second for me and then we'll walk through it. Love is patient, love is kind. He's given us the definition. So I want you to think, who am I becoming? The invitation from Jesus is to become people of love. So ask the question, is, is this who you're becoming? Or if you were to put your name in each blank, Drake is patient, Danielle would laugh out loud. We're not, we're not even one word in, and I'm already, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. This is normally used like at weddings, I got some friends in the room, Joel and Bailey getting married this weekend, come on. So excited for them. This is the passage that's, that's used often in weddings, and it's great. But, but context-wise, this passage is, is used in, in light of community. 
Like the people sitting in the room with you, the people in your city groups, the people here on a monthly basis, this passage is written in the context of community. And so I want to walk through it with you. I want to give you a vision. Again, we talked about this. That vision of the good life has to start somewhere. So you you probably have some of these sometimes. No one has all of this all the time. And these are the people that we want to become. And if you're like, you know what? I, I don't know that I want to become that. It's definitely true of you that these are the people you want around you. You play this backwards. These are the If people are not like this, you don't want to have a relationship with them. So let's just walk through it together and imagine this being worked out in community, worked out through you, worked out through others around you, and imagine us, again, who are we becoming, becoming the kind of people that look like this. So again, who should we be becoming? Number one is patient. If you're taking notes, I'm just going to break it down for you a little bit to help you kind of capture this. Patient, that word patient, I want you to think about the word pace. To literally match someone's pace, to change my pace to match yours. This is making a decision consciously. Impatience is not a decision, it's a feeling. Patience is a decision. And it's a decision to match consciously the pace of someone else rather than assuming they should match my pace. So I'm the guy that, that you know, is at Disney World. Right, and I, I'm, I'm wherever we're going, we're going there fast. We gotta beat the lines, and I'm in a hurry. And if a kid gets left behind, sorry about him. You know what? It's, it's. We'll find him at the front. I'm sure. And and there's a pace in life that we're invited into. So so to be patient means I'm choosing to pause rather than to push in my relationships. Impatience, again, is a feeling, not a decision, and so then it's this posture that, like, my pace is the pace, therefore get with it, and this is not just about running through Disney World. This is about community. This is about why haven't you fixed that yet? Why aren't you becoming this person yet? Why aren't you making progress like I am? Why aren't you, right, any pace that you have in life when it comes to community, this is expecting other people to match you, and patience defers, and this is so hard for me to become Love chooses to defer. That I'm going to meet you where you are rather than revving my engine all the time in frustration when you're not able to match my pace. You put your car in neutral in the parking lot and just floor it over and over again, you know, blow a head gasket. Your engine's going to overheat. And impatient people are constantly irritated and revving their internal engines at the pace of everyone else around them. So love is slowing my pace to meet you where you are. That's really hard, isn't it? You, love, you want people to do it for you, but it's really hard when you have to do it. Number two, love is kind. Love is kind. Kindness is not weakness in this scenario. Kindness is actually leveraging my strength for someone else who needs it. So kindness is leveraging my strength in the face of weakness in someone else's life. Kindness recognizes that everyone around me is probably carrying a heavy load, and so I'm gonna meet them in that space. It's not assuming, so it's, it's kind of unique. This is the active counterpart to patience. So it's one thing to slow down, which is what patience does. I'm gonna meet people where they are. It's another thing to show up for somebody. You see the difference? It's one thing to slow down, to tolerate, and be like, all right, whenever you're ready, but kindness shows up. So not only am I meeting you where you are, but then I show up to meet you in the spaces that you're working on or growing in. This is what love looks like. And you know this, unkindness kills love, doesn't it? Someone's unkind to you, and you're like, I'm out. 
Forget it, right? And this is as simple as a cashier, right? You go through the line, and then, and then someone's snooty with you at Target, and you're like, oh, no, she didn't. Or you're the person that's snooty to the registered person. Don't do that. Be nice. But it's funny. Right now in the season with my, my kids, everything is be kind. <laughs> be kind. Why? Stop. Be kind. And the other day, I was reminded that they're probably learning some of their behaviors from someone else in our household. I'm not going to say who it is, but it's a lady. It's my, my dog. She's a terrible. Anyway, unkindness kills love, doesn't it? So again, why, why is this important? This is, this is the people we're becoming. It doesn't stop there. He says, it does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. This is a threefold kind of working together. These three plays, they, they stem from insecurity. So I want you to think about community. And, and these three things work together from a place of insecurity. They often express themselves in like sarcasm or criticism or, or disrespect. And so envy is that discontent inside of you for what others have, whether it be possessions or, or qualities you know, that they have. Like you, know, you listen to Danielle sing and you're just like, mm, that girl can sing and I hate her guts for it, right? I wish I could sing like that um, or, or whatever. Uh, um, wish I had a Jeep like that or you know, whatever it is. Envy is that space of discontent because of what others have. Here's what you need to know about this space, and this is a heart check for for you and I. Envy is always deeper and wider than the relationship that's experiencing the tension. Envy is an individual problem expressed in the relationships around us. So it's not Daniel's problem that I'm envious of him. I wish I could play the keys. It's a heart problem inside of me that's expressing itself in this relationship or that, wherever it shows up. And so, again, it's not, it's not a relationship problem when envy is there. It's an individual problem. I want you to ask this question just internally. How's your internal response when other people around you are winning? Just in anything. How's your internal res- response when other people around you are winning? Do you criticize or do you celebrate? We, we try really hard to cultivate a culture here of celebration. Not because there aren't things to criticize, Right? There's plenty of brokenness to go around and to point at. But what we choose to do, criticism or celebration, determines whether envy has a hole in our hearts. And boasting is then the byproduct. Boasting shows up in response to the success or failure of others. So if you're successful, then I'm going to boast in order to try to make myself feel better and match your success. If you're a failure, then I'm going to take an opportunity to step up on that springboard and say, well, I w- I'm not like that. I wouldn't do that. And either way, boasting shows up to elevate myself in the space of envy. And lastly, pride is the very reason that we don't do any of that. Pride is what, literally what keeps us from celebrating others. It's the very thing that keeps us from opening our mouth and choosing to celebrate because we are so internally struggling with the space of envy. So how do we kill envy? We choose to celebrate. That's how we do it. And so in your city groups, on a weekend team, as you gather on the weekends, we always want to encourage the space of celebrating other people. This is true of your relationships. This is true of your extended family. This is true when you go home for the holidays. This is true in your workplace. That celebration kills that space. But it goes on. It does not dishonor others. And and you know this. Honor is at the heart of every good relationship, isn't it? Honor is at the heart of every good relationship. I want you to imagine dinner with your favorite actor. Your favorite actor or, or famous person. Dinner with anybody that's a really big deal to you. I want you to imagine that you have three hours of dinner, ask all the questions, and you get to sit down with them. How would you behave at that dinner? Right? You would be in that weird space of like, 
appropriately self-conscious, wouldn't you? Right? Like, not, hopefully not weird, <laughs> although we can get there sometimes. Um, but hopefully in that space of appropriately self-conscious, there's such a big deal to you that just immediately you go into a space of honor. Honor says others first, you first. Honor defers to others around you. And, and Paul's assumption here in the definition of love is that we live in a space of honor. Honor doesn't show up sometimes. Honor is all the time. Others first, you first. That we're over the top considerate in the relationships that we have around us. You say, well, this is really easy when they're easy to honor. It's really easy to honor honorable people, but that's, there's no condition on the honor that we give. Others first is a disposition even when they're pushing all your buttons. <laughs> and you're the one paying for dinner. <laughs> you're like, and you're the one doing all the work. Honor defers, honor yields, honor says you first. Now imagine a community like this. Imagine a community full of imperfect people who are choosing to live this way. Not because it's easy, but because it's the call and it literally is the model of Jesus in our lives. You say, where does this list come from? Why is this the list of who I should become? Because this is exactly who Jesus is and continues to be for you and I. He's patient. He's kind. He does not envy or boast. He's not proud. He doesn't dishonor. He goes on. It's not self-seeking. And this is meant to be kind of redundant. You're like, that sounds like the same thing. That's on purpose. It's not self-seeking. It's others first. Not easily angered. He goes on. This is is saying you don't have a short fuse, which is, again, so hard for me. I'm at eight on the Enneagram. Anybody else in the room? And, And I'm like, I was born with a short fuse. And it's so hard to keep it together. And, and what this means is to not be easily angered means that, that rather than reacting, I, I'm in a disposition where I can respond. Some of you, like, like the, sometimes the, the quick switch is to the other end that I'm just not gonna respond to anything because I'm afraid of overreacting to everything. And that's not what love does. Love is not soft, doesn't turn a blind eye to hard stuff. But rather than living out of a space of constant reaction, I, I'm able to respond because I have a longer Fuse. This, this word in the Greek could also be translated provoked or stirred up. You ever, you ever been stirred up by somebody? You ever, you ever just like, man, that person really chaps my khakis. You ever like said something like that? Probably not that one. That person, stir, I don't own khakis for what it's worth, but that, really, that person stirs me up, right? We have, we have phrases like that, don't we? What do we mean? Man, they, they just have a way of getting under our skin. Here, here's the deal. When you and I blame our anger on other people, It gives permission to every single person that we come in contact with, every single person with a stir stick to stir us up. And so we we take ownership of our anger, that they might push your buttons, they might push my buttons, they might get under my skin, but they're my buttons. It's my skin. And so I take ownership over the reality that I am going to be a person that defers and and has a longer fuse. I'm not easily angered. I'm going to own it. Next one is it keeps no record of wrongs. Holy moly. Some of you grew up in homes like this. Where it felt like, you know, somebody just had a journal. <laughs> and every time you, you messed up, they're like, hmm, well, let's see. You always do this. You never do this. You, you, six, you said six months ago, right? And over and over again. It's like every time you messed up, they were expecting it, and they were ready to just, just kind of stomp on you in light of your mistake or your failure. And, and what's really frustrating about this one is, is the person who's keeping a record is, is kind of pivoting for control. And again, if love is deferring, then we're also giving up control. Keeps no record of wrongs. No record? No record. Why? Why not? This is the posture of God toward you and I. 
He goes on, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Or another way to say that is love chooses to believe and see the best in others. Let me say it again, love chooses to believe and see the best in others. Even after the 30th time that they've done the thing, you're like, why, why would I have this posture? Listen, this is, and this is not a calling into abusive relationships, turning it right. There's a safe zone here that, that we don't take it to that level. But the reality is most of our relationships need a posture. We don't delight in evil, rejoice with truth, that we choose to believe and see the best in others because everyone has gaps. And so we give them the benefit of the doubt. So imagine a community like this. Imagine a city group like this. Imagine the teams that you're serving on. Imagine your family dynamics like this. Now look, look at the last part. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always? <laughs> Does it have to be always? Can it be sometimes? Always. Now, here's what I know about you. Is this is the kind of person you would love to be. And if you're like me, this is easily a list you look at and you're like, well, I got gaps here and there. And like you're, these things sometimes, but you're never all of them all the time. And we got to ask the question, how do we grow? How do we become these kind of people? It's not just that this should be who we're shooting for, because all of you have gritted your teeth and tried not to be angry or tried to be more patient or tried to do the thing. So how do we become these kind of people? Let me, let me give you one more time, this reminder. Spiritual formation, we, we talk about a lot. What I just did is I gave you the teaching. I gave you the vision for the good life. I gave you the vision for something better, that every relationship, if it was saturated with the paradigm that we just put on top of it, it would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be like just mind-blowing to see a community like that, to see relationships like that. Well, how do we see it? You and I cannot become these people outside of practice and community, and you know that. We don't just be, we're not formed in isolation. In fact, a lot of this is being formed through community. If you pray for patience, you think God's gonna give you patience, just downloaded, plus one to patience. Or is he gonna put someone in your city group who tests your patience? These are the spaces that we have an opportunity to grow in. Now, um, to, to land the plane, here's what I'm gonna do. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, it's not on the screen, and, uh, and so you can read it on your own time. 1 Corinthians 12, right before the passage we just read, Paul gives this huge analogy of the body, I'm sorry, the church being like a body. Hands, legs, feet, ears, nose, all working together, all being built together for the purpose of building up. So, so the opportunity to flesh out this love thing of becoming people of love is because we're interconnected. So let me tell you a story to help illustrate Paul's 1 Corinthians 12 space. You can read that on your own time. Uh, about, about a decade ago, I had a friend. He was an EMT. And, and I always like to, like, one of my favorite things to do is, like, to ask like my friends in the medical world, like what's the craziest stories you have, right? And, and, and I don't have the stomach for it, but I like to hear it, you know, secondhand. So he's like, all right, so I got a phone call and they drive out in the middle of nowhere and they get to this like ranch and there's this dude sitting on the back of his truck with a towel wrapped around his hand and like clearly blood everywhere. And so they get out, EMT, ready to go. And then uh, and they show, hey, well, well, what happened? And the dude unravels his hand and he holds up his fingers like this and he says, my horse bit my finger off. Just like that, I'm sure. Uh, and this was not a relative of mine, to be clear, okay? Uh, this was somebody else. 
my horse bit my finger off. So um, they're like, oh man, okay, so this guy's got a lot of blood, and they say, wrap him up, band him up, put him in the in the ambulance, take him to the hospital, um, and then, then they assume that the horse had swallowed the finger, right? They couldn't find the finger. So they get to the hospital. They're doctoring him up and everything, and over and over again, the, the ambulance ride there and like at the hospital, he's like, ah, oh, my elbow, my elbow. He keeps talking about his elbow. My elbow hurts, my elbow hurts, and he's missing a finger. And so all, just over and over again, my elbow, my elbow, my elbow, anesthetic, not the elbow, elbow, elbow. And then his wife calls, and she's like, hey, I found your finger. Guess the horse didn't swallow it. And so then she shows up about an hour later with an ice chest and a finger in it. And so they're like, cool, we're going to try to save his finger and do the whole thing. And so then they go in, they open up the ice chest, and they pull out the finger. And then as they pull out the finger, there's this long, like, spaghetti thing attached to the finger. And they're like, what in the... And, and what had happened is the horse didn't, didn't do a, a clean bite and so when it bit his finger off, it pulled the nerve out of his arm from his elbow to his finger. Sorry for those of you with weak stomachs. Um, <laughs> that was very vivid, wasn't it? And so, and so this guy, so, so the elbow hurts, elbow hurts, elbow hurts. And his elbow hurt <laughs> because the nerve had been pulled from, anyway. All right, so uh, uh, why did I tell you that story? I just felt like it was a cool one. Let's pray. Um, no, no, here, here's the deal. Let me give you a couple of observations as we land the plane, and I'm going to invite Kari to come. A couple of observations from 1 Corinthians 12, a couple of observations from losing your finger to a horse, okay? You guys down with that? Number one, and you can take notes for this, when we're disconnected, the body suffers. Two-lane two road, okay? When it comes to the body, when it comes to living life, if, if the church, this, this family that God is building is a body, when we're disconnected, the body suffers, right? He's like, my elbow, my elbow. And, and so I don't want you to miss it. Paul's like, hey, everyone in the room, you, you're a part of the body. And so you matter. And again, you might not be a part of this local context. Maybe you're from out of town or wherever. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a part of the body. And when we're disconnected, the body suffers. That's true for the body, and it's true for you as the individual. That finger apart from the body, it dies, doesn't it? And so when we're disconnected from the body, the body suffers. So let me give you some illustrations. The band is amazing, right? Right? I mean, the band is amazing, right? I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine that it was only a drummer. Some of you are like, yeah! <laughs> uh, I know, I mean, it'd be pretty cool, but like, right, only a bass player. Right? It would feel incomplete, wouldn't it? You're like, I mean, bass is good. I mean, I love a good bass line. Right? I mean, imagine, right, what it feels like. And I know this is a simple example, but imagine, imagine the band today without a sound engineer in the back. Paul with his mustache rocking it back there, making it sound amazing so you can feel the bass in your innards. You know what I'm saying? Imagine the band with no slides. All these songs and you have no idea how to follow along, right? Our production team, they matter, don't they? Uh, there was a church that, that I followed. They, they did this thing called No Show Sunday, where they just told all their volunteers, show up at church, but no one's serving. And I think they had one person unlock the doors, one person turn on the lights, and they had a microphone. And they just did a day of No Show Sunday. No kids, no, no cafe, no cold brew coffee, no city kids, air's not on, no band, just the house lights, just to make a point. Look at how amazing it is, all the people that are contributing. Paul says, man, like, there's a suffering that happens when the body gets disconnected, when even one part takes a step back, or when one part is not connected in doing all that God has created it to do. 
And some of you, you just believe you have nothing to offer. You, you're just like, I don't know that I have any, anything significant to give. And God is saying, I made you on purpose for a purpose. And that purpose is meant to be connected. It's meant to be life-giving in community, large gatherings, small gatherings, and all the spaces. You want to talk about suffering? Imagine a Sunday without Danielle's cookies, Right? Yeah, you're like, man, I would not come to church, right? And imagine there's no one there to greet you outside. And imagine there's no one watching your kids today. Jesus, no, right? Like, it, it's amazing. Imagine there's no one to pray with you. Imagine there's all these dead bugs around the auditorium because no one vacuumed. You'd be, uh, you'd be just blown away by the amount of dead bugs around here throughout a week, right? But we got a super secret vacuuming team, William on the vacuum. I mean, he's crushing it, right? Imagine what it would be like. The body suffers. Imagine no words of encouragement, no words of wisdom, no words of knowledge, no prophecy, no one to pray over healing. Imagine at city groups that God had a gift that he wanted to give through someone, but they didn't show up and that, that gift went undelivered, right? All these spaces, right? When, the, when we're disconnected, the body suffers. Um, number two, when we're connected, we find value. The reason that you're gifted, the reason that you're wired, your personality, your gift set, all the things about you, it's meant to find value in community. God didn't make you so you could just enjoy yourself. You and I were made for community. And one of the greatest joys is we find value in serving others and watching God work in and through us to serve others and love others. Number three. When we're connected, we find care. Paul literally says, right, when, man, when people are celebrating in their honor, we, we, we celebrate in honor with them. When they're suffering, we suffer with them. In community, you find care. When we're part of the body, we find care. And the last one is when we're connected, we become like Jesus. Literally, Paul says that these are the people we're becoming. There's a more excellent way that connected in the body, we are formed, we are becoming people of love. This is how he's honing us into the people, the kind of people who are patient and kind and don't envy and don't boast, right? This is, this is the space that we're in. So let me show you Paul's words to land the morning. This is in Ephesians, so this is the parallel passage from, from uh, 1 Corinthians 12 there. He's, he's saying, why has God given you gifts? Why has God made you on purpose and for a purpose. He said, so that we collectively, who are we becoming? We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, that's Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, or another translation would say doing its part, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see it? Who are we becoming? We're called to become people of love. And we're only going to do that in community. We're only going to do that in practice. Um, many of you filled out the survey a couple of weeks ago. Um, I just want to say thank you again for that. It helps us know a lot about what's going on inside of our church, and we, we're encouraged by a lot of the stats. I, I want to share one with you this morning that we kind of found surprising. One of the things we found is that 40% of the people that took this anonymous survey are not currently serving on a weekend team, which we're like, whoa. 
That's almost half of the people that call City Church home on a monthly basis are not currently actively using their gifts to serve, their personality to serve. And, it's, and it's, it's, it makes our hearts sad primarily. Why? Because you're such a gift. To not let God work in and through you, to not give the gift of yourself to the community around you, man, the body's missing out. And so are you. So I just want to share that with you. It's not, it's not meant to be discouraging. It's meant to be invitational. That you're a part of the body for a reason. You are a gift. You are gifted. And it's for the purpose of building us up in love. Why? So the world will know we're his followers by the love we have for one another, the people that we are becoming. Let me show you Paul's ending words here. 1 Corinthians 14. This is, we've been over this over and over again in this series. Pursue love. Pursue love. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy. We've been all over this. Why would I do that? Because I can love you better when I let the Spirit do this stuff in and through me. That's the posture. That's the heart. So no matter where you are today, I want to invite you. A couple of things for you today. Maybe you need to join God's family. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus in the room. I just need you to know that Jesus makes a very clear invitation that anyone who trusts in him can not only be saved and set free, but Jesus uses the language of being adopted into the family of God. And maybe you've never trusted in Jesus today, and today is your moment to do that. Number two, maybe you're in the room and it's time for you to join the local body. Some of you, you're, you, you call this 